Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. My guest today is AJ Burgett, a professional basketball player in Luxembourg playing for Excella. Collegiately, AJ played for the University of Notre Dame from 2012 to 2016. AJ, welcome to the show. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I really appreciate you making the time. I know you're in the middle of a playoff run right now, and there's a big time difference. So really appreciate you working with me. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad we worked out and we could uh, actually sit down and do this. Yeah, for sure. So now you're from Avon, Indiana, which is about a half hour from Indianapolis, correct? Yep, just on the west side, outside the city. Okay, so you were probably more rooting for the Indiana teams rather than the Chicago teams. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, my whole family's been going to IU. I was one of the first people that didn't go there. And there's only been like two or three people in my whole family that's never, like, haven't gone to Indiana University. Mm, wow. So I guess you hate Purdue then. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> so you were a Colts guy, a Pacers guy, all that? Yep, yep, growing up, big Pacers fan. Um, really the only Chicago team I'm a fan of is the Cubs. And that comes from my dad. My dad's originally from Chicago. Okay. So, have you been to Wrigley? Uh, I have. I have once. And then now when I go back from being overseas, I live in Chicago. Me and my girlfriend have a place there, so we live there. Ooh, good for you. I'm jealous. Chicago is my favorite city. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of it. And it's easy drive to Indianapolis to still see my family, so it's no issue. Nice, nice. And I am a bandwagon Cubs fan, so when they're good, I'm watching, I'm rooting for them. At least I admit it. Yeah, and at least you're not a Sox fan still, so. <laughs> Any siblings for you, AJ? Yeah, I have one older sister. She's uh, She wasn't really big into sports. She's very, like, musically inclined, something that I don't have. So she got that side, and I got more of the sports side. Okay, good for her. People with musical talent, I'm so jealous of. I wish I had it. I don't. Yeah, me too. I always say I, w- I would give up every talent I have to be able to sing. Like, if I could just sing, I'll do it. Yeah, right? Now, Indiana is the basketball state, so I'm assuming at birth you were basically handed a basketball, and that's how you got into the sport, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being like blue or pink, boy or girl, it's like basketball or football. you got to choose one. <laughs> uh, no, but really, how did you get into it? Was it through your dad, just through watching IU on TV? Yeah, so it was, it was through my dad at first. We always had a goal in our driveway, and um, I just used to always shoot with him, and I remember having like a little tight goal in our backyard like up against the fence and like shooting on that. And then once I got a little bit older, like I was saying, everyone in my family has gone to IU. And uh, my grandparents were actually season ticket holders for IU for a long, long time. And as a young, at a young age, we used to always drive up there and go to the basketball games and football games, actually. But um, that really kind of what like drew me in and like really got me going and wanting to be better at basketball. I was like going to those games with my grandparents and seeing that. Wow, that's so cute. And, like, you're going to a really well-known basketball court in, with Assembly Hall. I mean, it's kind of one of the meccas in the sport. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's crazy to think about because even though I went to Notre Dame in college, like, now that I'm not there anymore, I'm, like, I hate to say it, but I'm still a bigger IU fan. Like, just being born and raised. And, like like I said, everybody in my family went there and everyone's IU fans. And it's it's a lot closer to my family um we've just always rooted for him and like you said it's such a historic place and like bobby knight and the history yeah it really is have you did you watch that 30 for 30 on bobby knight 
Uh, I actually have. It was, it was really good. It was. It annoyed me at first because they only put it on ESPN Plus for like five months. It didn't get on like normal TV for a while. Very annoyed by that. Oh, dang. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I guess you have ESPN Plus then. Uh, I do, actually. Nice, nice. Yeah, I always think about it. I've never pulled the trigger, but I've always thought about it. Yeah, I mean, I can't really say that it's mine. I mean, it comes in like a package thing, and our family like shares it, so like we kind of all have it. All right. Well, yeah, really good film. Didn't really put Bob Knight in the best light, but, you know, interesting stuff that I didn't know about. Yeah, no, 100%. I think a lot of things came through that and came to light that a lot of people didn't know about, whether it had been like the way he treated people or like the way practices were and some of the like off-court stuff. But I thought it was really, really good story and like – People got to see more of like who Bob Knight was. Yeah, definitely. Now, did you root for Notre Dame at all growing up? Maybe even the football team? Uh, not at all, actually. I mean, growing up, I didn't. I didn't even think of Notre Dame. I mean, the first time I'd ever really heard about Notre Dame is when Brady Quinn was there as a quarterback, and they were like starting to be pretty good. And then you play like the video games, like NCAA football and whatnot. Um, and I knew Notre Dame because of that, because they always they were always good on the game. But other than that, I never really paid attention to him. I was always IU, Purdue, Butler. Okay, yeah, those are the closer schools. What's the South Bend, like, a four-hour drive from you? Yeah, it's like three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I could see how that's really not on your radar at that time. Now, did you play any other sports growing up or just basketball? I actually played three. I played basketball, football, and baseball. And um, I played football until eighth grade, and I played baseball until ninth grade. And then after that, I stopped playing both just to focus on basketball because – I knew I was better at both of those, but it kind of broke my dad's heart that I stopped playing baseball because he played uh, all the way to like professionally and got like asked to try out for like the Pittsburgh minor league team back in the day, way back. He's really old. but uh, <laughs> uh, So he was really, he was pretty sad when I stopped playing baseball, but he knew it was like best for me. Yeah. It seems to have worked out for you. I'm sure he can agree with that. Yeah. He's happy. He's happy about it. Um, <laughs> He still looks back and he's like, oh, I think you should have played baseball throughout high school. But um, I think looking looking back now, he just jokes about it. But like truly deep down, he's like, I'm happy that I chose basketball and continued to play. Nice. Yeah. He probably wanted you to be like Pat Connaughton, play both sports at Notre Dame. Yeah. I, I, he used to make jokes about it and throw it out there like, come on, like, just go. They probably have an open tryout sometime. And I was like, oh, dad, man, I haven't, I haven't pitched baseball in four or five years. I don't even know if I can throw 70 miles per hour anymore. <laughs> So that means your dad played for IU, right? You had said most of your family went to IU? Most of them. So he is one of them that did not. Oh, okay. Where'd he go? He did not go to college, actually. So you have him that did not go. Then I have one cousin that went to Ball State. And then you have me that went to Notre Dame. But then other than that, pretty much everyone in my family went to IU. Okay, so you guys are the rejects of the family. Well, good for him for not playing in college and getting a tryout with a minor league team. Wow. Yeah, yeah, back in like 1940, so. (laughs) Now, how old were you when you started playing AAU? Was it when you dropped football and baseball, or was it before then? It was before that, actually. I mean, I want to say I started playing like travel basketball or like AAU basketball when I was in like sixth or seventh grade. Um, And it was just like kind of a local team around Indianapolis. And then once I hit eighth grade, I played for like a bigger team out of Fort Wayne called Spies, Indy Heat. Um. So and then I played for them majority all the way till my very last year of AAU basketball. I played with a different team out of Indianapolis called Dorian Pride. Did it involve a lot of travel? Uh, yeah, it did. Especially when I played for Indy, uh, Spice Indy Heat. We traveled a lot, actually, because we played in the EYBL. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like the Nike circuit. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So almost every weekend we were going to somewhere, either California, San Antonio, Florida, somewhere on the East Coast. It was all over the place all summer. Wow, that is a lot of traveling. Hey, looking back, it, it was actually a lot. And like imagining it like being a high school kid, and, like I remember having like no weekends free and like just always being on the go. Yeah, that's the part about AAU that I think really stinks for kids, right? Because it's like you're missing so much outside of the sport. You know, I'm sure you miss going to football games, school dances, just school parties, all of that. No, 100%. I agree with that. I remember looking back and I mean, I'll probably say this again later when you ask me about like the whole recruiting process. I committed to Notre Dame so early because my parents had me going to so many visits like to colleges and whatnot because like I would have like basketball and then like training and this and that and then like tournaments and then on free weekends we'd go visit a school and whatnot and I remember I sat them down one weekend and I was like hey I'm committing to a school next weekend because I want my weekends like I was like I don't I don't feel like a kid like I'm doing all this stuff and I was like I haven't seen my friends or hung out with my friends in three months wow yeah I don't blame you yeah it was it was a hard decision but I was like I, I have to do this like I'm I'm literally like just doing what my parents want right now and like what like for my future like I know I need a plan for my future and make the best decision but I was like I need to be I need to live in the moment right now and like enjoy my friends like these are some of your friends you're probably gonna have the rest of your life like these are guys you grew up with now AJ you're listed as 6'9 were you always tall or did you hit a growth spurt at a certain age no I've always been tall and uh I'll never forget like I was six foot in sixth grade so I always remember that so I've always kind of been a little bit above and I was like 6'5 going into my senior year, I think, of high school. And then I kind of hit a growth spurt that year, and I was like 6'8. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in college, I gained another inch, but I don't remember when that was. But I've been 6'9 ever since. Those late growth spurts for boys, that were actually for anyone, but mostly the later growth spurts happen to just boys. But going through that as a high school basketball player really helps. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Because, I mean... Our team in high school, all of our like big guys, we all were like six five, six six five. Like there's three of us, and then out of nowhere, I was six nine. So that kind of helped. So then it was like more of like a definitive on our like positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of high school, you go to Avon High School. Fantastic career. You're an all state player, also all county, all league. You led your conference in scoring senior year, which that's a really big deal because, like I said, it's Indiana. You guys live and breathe basketball. You finished yeah. your career as a top five. You finished your career top five in scoring rebounds and blocks at Avon. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I mean, I haven't talked about high school basketball in so long, so it's just bringing back memories, and I haven't talked about it with really anybody. But yeah, we had, we had some really good teams. I mean, there's some other guys on my team. I mean, we had a guy that went to Wright State. I mean, we had another guy that played baseball who went to Vanderbilt, but he's a great basketball player too. And we had a bunch of guys that went like JUCO or like D2 also. So we really had a good team. So I'm not going to say it was just me, but we had a lot of like really good teammates and uh, guys around me that really helped out with all that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Vanderbilt baseball. That's a pretty successful program and Wright State's very good. Wow. Yeah. They both were really good players. I mean, Kendall Griffin, he went to Wright State and another guy named Jared Miller went to Vanderbilt and he's actually, I don't know if he's still in the MLB or not, but he was last time I like checked in on him, he was playing for the minor league Arizona team. Wow, good for him. Now, you played in various all-star games, but tell me this, did you play in the one where one team dresses as Hickory from Hoosiers? Yeah, yep, you have Hickory versus Terhune, and uh, you play in the really small gym, and it's it's absolutely nuts. It's probably, out of all the all-star games I played in, my favorite one. I bet. Did you get to be Hickory? 
Uh, yeah, I actually was. And the crazy thing is, I don't know if you'll be able to find the film on this, but that game was absolutely stacked. If you go back and look at the rosters and like NBA guys and like top college guys that like played, I mean, you have Gary Harris in that game. You have Glenn Robinson, the third in that game. You have RJ Hunter in the game. You have Yogi Ferrell, like just a crazy, crazy lineup of guys. Wow. That is impressive. Now were the shorts, the shorty shorts, like in the movie. No. So that's one thing they did not do, but ah. the one, some other details that they do do is like they have the cheerleaders with like the old uniforms on too. the refs wear like the super tight, small jerseys. <laughs> so they, they, they do it pretty well. And like they, they go further in thought than what you think. Yeah. Wow. Now you did discuss your rec- recruiting process a bit, a few minutes ago, but can you go into a little bit more detail on it? Tell me what schools you were really considering and why you chose Notre Dame. Yeah, so, I mean, looking back, my top five were Notre Dame, Michigan, Xavier, um, Michigan State for a little bit, but then I'll explain why they got kicked out, and uh, Butler, actually. Mm. Um, But, no, I actually wanted to to commit to Michigan State because me and Gary Harris were really good friends in high school, and my last AU season, we played on the same AU team. Um, so I was thinking about committing to him, but then I got a call from him literally like that week and they're like, Hey, sorry, we got a guy that committed in your position in your class. So we don't have a a scholarship for you anymore. So that kind of like threw that out of like whack. So then I like reconsider. So then it kind of got down between my final three were kind of like Notre Dame, Michigan, Xavier. And, um, I kind of, they all were like kind of the same distance from my house, all three to four hours. Um, and I really just like Notre Dame. I really had a good relationship with like the assistant coach. His name's Anthony Solomon, who is now actually back on staff. He just came back this year. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, and I really lo- liked the university and I, I really liked that it wasn't just a basketball school. Like they're really good academically. And, um, the big thing they preach is like, it's not a four year commitment. It's 40 years and the connections that you have here, you can always reach out and come back. Um, I really enjoyed that. And like on all my visits, the guys were like super nice and, um, they were able to explain everything. You had any questions and uh, just full circle. I thought Notre Dame was the best choice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a, deg- a degree from Notre Dame goes a long way. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Like the like what I said, I think the whole four, it's not four-year commitment, it's 40 years because it's going to go a lot, lot further than other schools. Absolutely. And the thing that happened to you at Michigan State, that really sucks because you want to take your time and think about it because it's a big choice, but you also are kind of on the clock because other kids are making their commitments too and schools are only allowed so many scholarships. Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation because I it didn't even cross my mind until that happened because like, you're just a high school kid, you're getting all these offers and you're going on these visits to the school and they're like, hey, we want you, you got to offer. But, like, they don't really know that, like, yeah, there's a time limit on it. Like, if there's a kid or two that commit before you and say, hey, I call them that weekend, and they're like, oh, crap, like, we can't really take this kid, or we got to call back one of these kids and be like, hey, we can't take you, because then they kind of got to decide, or, like, is it a first-come, first-serve thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a tough situation. Absolutely. Mike Bray, one of my favorite coaches to watch. I find him so easy to root for, just his – Seems I'm positive attitude, at least, you know, to the cameras on game day. I don't know what he's like in practice, but the mock turtlenecks seems like he's always having fun. What was it like to play for him? Uh, it was really good. I mean, he's a really good coach. And like you said, he's very laid back. He really knows the game. He knows his X's and O's. Um, he really knows how to like treat guys. Like he knows if we just had a hard game or we've had a few hard practices, he knows that like, Hey, 
he gets the strength coach out there. It gives us like a little bit of an easier practice. Uh, I think he's really good at reading people and like really knowing, like I said, if we need a hard practice that day or need to like step off the gas a little bit. And then, like I said, when it comes to games, he's, he's good at executing. He's good at putting certain guys in at the right time or switching up defenses or stuff like that. And then I also give his assistant coaches a lot of credit when I was there. Martin, Z- Martin Inglesby and then Anthony Solomon and Rod Blanas. I think they're all really good at their X's and O's and like scouting report stuff. They're all really good at that stuff too. So I think uh, the full staff that we had were there under Mike Bray. I think he did a good job of getting good guys under him and then also executing everything the way he does. Definitely. You get to South Bend in the summer of 2012. Tell me what it was like transitioning from playing high school basketball to college basketball. Because you're 6'9", but you're kind of a skinny 6'9 when you got to Notre Dame. No, 100%. I remember (laughs) going first summer there, and our our strength coach, one of my favorite guys there, Tony Rolinski, and you can ask any guy that's ever gone to Notre Dame. He loves the guy, and we always reach out to him and probably one of the guys that most of the guys stay in touch with too but coming into the summer and like doing the strength and conditioning like I lifted in high school but like never like intense or anything like too much but going there and doing a full program that summer and like having to just chug two or three protein shakes before if you're underweight (laughs) or like having somebody come with you to the dining hall and like you have to eat so many plates and like gaining weight I don't Uh, feel bad for you that sounds great yeah it was it was awesome but uh uh, yeah, I think my first year I gained like 25 pounds or something like that. It was it was crazy. Wow. But you were actually like you had to gain that weight in college. Most people gain 25 pounds from drinking too much beer and eating too much late night pizza. So you actually yeah. had to do it and you did it in a healthy way. Yeah, it was a healthy way. It wasn't a freshman <laughs> 15 or whatever they want to call it. But looking back, it was well worth it and still got it on me. And I think it really helped. Absolutely. Mike Bray loves to use red shirts. And I think he read that I read that he asked you to red shirt as a freshman, but you chose not to. Why did you decide that? Uh, so me personally at the time, I was kind of hard headed and I was like, nah, I don't want to red shirt. Like I want to <laughs> like I was thinking big picture. I was like, oh, I want to move on with my life, like college four years and then I'm done. Like, I don't want to be here for five years. Like I came in with these guys. These are like my, my, my boys and I'm going to leave with them. I don't want to, I don't want to stay here with the younger guys, you know? So I thought like that way, Mm. but looking back, like it probably wasn't the smartest idea on my part, but it all works out. Yeah. And that's, it's a hard decision to make at 18 or 17. However, however old you were, you don't know how the next few years are going to play out. And to be fair to you, I mean, it's it's less strict now with how they're using additional years, fifth years, sixth years. We have some people having seventh years now with the COVID <laughs> rules yeah. and how last year wasn't really, doesn't count towards eligibility. But I think this happened to Tim Abramitis, who wasn't your teammate. He, he played at Notre Dame before you got there. But he redshirted, just, you know, normal redshirt. He wasn't hurt. And then eventually, years down the line in his career, he tore his ACL, applied for another year of eligibility, but couldn't because he had already had to redshirt. So, you know, who knows? That could have happened to you. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, actually, my freshman year, my redshirt got burned anyways because I didn't really play the whole year. Like, yeah, there's a few games that I played in, but, like, even if you do redshirt, you can still play in, like, four or five games the rule was in or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Scott Martin was actually a senior at the time and he was like having knee problems. And I want to say like lower back issues too. We go to South Florida and like some of our other guys are injured too. And we had like no one that could play. So I had to play anyways. Oh, wow. So yeah, you, even, even if ahead. I would have redshirted, I think it would have got burned anyways. Yeah. Cause I mean, you end up playing 18 games, so you would definitely have, have not been like eligible to get a redshirt at that point. Yeah, for sure. So I guess even though being hard-headed and stubborn and saying, hey, I don't want to redshirt it, I knew what was going to happen, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. You knew it. Yeah, Notre Dame goes 25-10. and 10. That's a pretty good year now that I think about it, having Scott Martin um, hurt. And I've actually had him on the podcast, and we did talk about that year. I Looking back, I thought that you guys had lost more. It's a pretty good oh, season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, looking back on that year, the only person I can think of is Scott Martin that, like, was a big player and was, like, getting injured and, like, was, like, kind of sitting out or could only play, like, sparing minutes. But, yeah, I mean, there's some good guys on that team. I mean, we had Jack Cooley, who's played in the NBA. He played for the Jazz, and now he's in China playing. Um, you have Eric Adkins. He doesn't play anymore, but was a great point guard. You have Jaron Grant. You have Pat Connaughton. I mean, you had some big names on that team. Absolutely. Yeah, Zach August. Yeah, I mean, you had to battle in practice against Zach August, Jack Cooley, Garrick Sherman. It's rough. Yeah, you got some big dudes. And, yeah, me and Zach are actually really close. We were roommates two out of the four years. Nice. So um, still stay in touch. And, yeah, going to battles with him, sometimes were, they were long days. <laughs> I bet. He's playing overseas, right? Yeah, he's in Turkey right now. Or, wait, no, he's in Greece right now. With, oh, wow. uh, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to say the team right, but I – he was with Galatasaray, but now he's with uh, Panathinaikos, I think. Okay, good for him. The biggest game your freshman year was a home win against Louisville that went five overtimes. Tell me everything you remember about that game. Oh, man. It was such a long night. I didn't think it was ever going to end. I mean, I didn't play pretty <laughs> much the whole game, and I wasn't expecting to because, again, this is before that South Florida game, before like I like played legit minutes. And... Everyone was starting to foul, 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 and I'm looking at the bench, and I'm, uh, there's only like two or three of us left, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to go in. I was like, if someone fouls out, like, I'm next, and I forget who. I think it was Garrett Sherman that fouled out, and I mean, at this point, I hadn't been in a big game yet. Like, this was my first big college game, and I hear Coach say, Bird, because that's what everybody called me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, no way. <laughs> and I mean, there was only like 18 seconds left and I was pretty much just going in to play defense. And after that, we was like, get the ball and hopefully they don't foul us because then the game should be over. And that's about all what I remember. I remember the clock hitting zero and just absolutely going nuts and turning around and students storming the floor. <laughs> I didn't, I remember they stormed the court. Wow. That was a college game day game, right? They were there. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, it was game day and everything. Wow. I remember watching it. And at one point, Dick Vitale was commenting. He had to just get up and run to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I don't think anybody told, told me about that. That's crazy, though. Yeah, he left. And, and to be honest, he got there and back pretty quickly. I was yeah, impressed. most most exits in Notre Dame, they're right around the corner, so they're not too far. And there's never a line for the boys' bathroom, so. Never, never. <laughs> But your freshman year was actually the last year that Notre Dame was in the Big East before they moved to the ACC. So tell me about your only experience playing in the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. 
So it was actually really nice. I mean, Madison Square Garden is probably one of my favorite places to play in. I mean, for any basketball player, it has to be. I mean, it's so historic, and the New New York Knicks play there. And then me being a kid, I mean, I'm a huge Pacers fan, so like the whole thing between Reggie Miller and Spike Lee. <laughs> so I, I have that in like my mind. So having all that just like come like full circle and being able to play there. And then we played pretty well in it also, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I love the Big East tournament. I actually go every year. I guess technically I haven't been the last two years, but always so much fun. My dad played baseball at Villanova, so I'm a big Villanova fan in the Big East. So okay. always fun, and they've obviously had a lot of success the past couple seasons. So it's a good yeah, time. Yeah, they've, they've been really good the last couple of years. And I'm undefeated at the Big East tournament. I always tell my dad, I'm like, I mean, it's me. You got to keep bringing me. They win. Yeah, that is true. You just got to keep keep uh, stringing that along so it'll keep bringing you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not Jay Wright's coaching. It's just me being there, having some beers and enjoying the game. <laughs> hey, that's how it should be. Exactly. Now, sophomore year in 2014, you play more. You actually play in 28 games and you make five starts. But now, this is sort of, this is going to start a kind of pattern for you where you're doing really well and playing a lot, and then an injury happens, and it's kind of you're back to square one. So in this season, you start a game against Florida State, but you had to leave the game because of a cardiac episode, which sounds really scary. Can you explain what happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does sound pretty bad, but I always try to, like, downplay it to people. It wasn't that serious, and it was just, like, a, a weird occurrence. But, yeah, we're at Florida State, and the whole first half, I was, like, feeling weird. My chest, like, felt weird, and I, like, I remember at halftime, I told our trainer, I was like, hey, like, I think there's something wrong. Like, I've had asthma, like, my whole life, or I supposedly did, and I was just like, I don't know what it is. Like, I can't breathe. Like, I know it's hot in the gym, but, like, I've never felt this way before. Like, I'm getting super lightheaded. And my trainer was like, oh, no, just drink some water. You'll be okay. And I remember I told, like, one of the guys, one of the walk-ons, Pat Crowley, in a t like a timeout right in the second half. And I was like, man, I'm, I literally feel like I'm about to pass out. And I was like, I, I've never passed out before, but I, I feel like this is what it feels like. But we leave the timeout. I remember we went up, went up and down the court, like, three more times. And, like, I was just seeing, like, black and white dots. Thank God, like, the ball went out of bounds. I remember looking over at Coach, and I was like, yo, take me out. I was like, I, if I go up and down the court one more time, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be on the floor. And I was like, this game, I was in my head, I was like, this game's on TV. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> and I remember going to the bench, and I, I looked at the trainer, and I was like, I, I can't, I literally cannot breathe. Like, it felt like my heart was about to come out of my chest. Oh, my God. Yeah, so uh, luckily my sister was at the game, actually. She lived in Florida at the time. And uh, we went back to the locker room and whatnot. And he like checked my chest and he's like, yeah, your heartbeat is like the heart. Your heart is just racing right now. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I try to tell you that I have some, like I, I literally cannot breathe. So then the next week we get back to South Bend and I go like visit like a, a cardiac person. And they pretty much said that like, I have like an irregular heartbeat, but it's like e easy fix. And they're like, you probably think you've had asthma your whole life, but you don't. But the way they explained it to me is like, your heart has like two pumps, like an upper half and a lower half. So it's like their blood enters your heart at the top half and then it like pumps it down to the lower half and then we'll like pump it out. And then there's like a hole at the bottom of your heart where the blood leaves. And I guess I was just like born with it where like the hole like wasn't big enough. So they just had to like go in and like burn the hole and make it a little bit bigger. So like my heart wasn't out like working itself. Wow. So it was like they actually had to go in. 
Yeah, it's not like they like cracked me open and I have like cuts on my chest. Like it's they went through my main artery, which is in your leg, in oh, your right okay. in in your right leg, like with like an incision. Okay. So I yeah. I don't I don't really have any scars from it at all. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, you grand scheme of things, you got really lucky because first off, a lot of people die on the court with those heart and with those hearts, right? Not hearts, yeah. but those heart issues. Yeah. And then a lot of people, if they have something wrong or told you can never play basketball again. So obviously that is not the case for you. And you only miss four games, which again, in the grand scheme of things with a heart issue, you got pretty lucky. Yeah, no, I, I really was. And I was only out for like two weeks, like you said, four games. Because as soon as I had it, they said, okay, you can't do anything for like two, three days, which I didn't. But I was like so anxious because I was like playing or whatnot and like wanted to like keep playing. And I was like, there's no way this is going to make me stop. Because, like, I remember him telling me, like, there's a possibility, like, like you might not be able to play again. And I was like, no, nah, there's no way. <laughs> so I went back to, like, training and, like, riding the bike and lifting. I was like, I felt fine every day. And afterwards, I was like, I don't know, I went up to coach. I was like, hey, I'm fine, this and that. But then, like, after that, I felt like everyone was, like, afraid to play me. Because they're like, oh, we don't want this kid to, like, die on the court. And I was like, no, I'm fine. Like, I've passed all these tests. Like, I did it in two weeks. Like, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, they're obviously taking precaution and, you know, had your best interests at heart. Yeah, no pun intended. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. But me being a stubborn kid, like 20 years old, I was like, put me back on the court, I'm fine. Yeah, absolutely, you want to play. Now, that season is a, is a down year for Notre Dame. It's actually the only year that you won't make the NCAA tournament in your career. Do you think any of that had to do with joining the new conference and, you know, getting the feel of the ACC? I think it was a little bit of that, and then also a lot of people forget that year. We lost one of our main guys, Jaron Grant, mid-year due to uh, an, an academic thing. So, I mean, going into that, we had our, our game at Madison Square Garden. Actually, we played Ohio State there, and uh, we lost. And that was our last game with Jaron. And, I mean, going into that, our record, I think we were like 9-2 and two or 10-2. and two. But then, yeah, we go into the ACC, and uh, we don't do so great. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough. I forgot about that. I forgot you guys lost him. Yeah, so a lot of people forget about that because we had a very promising year at the beginning. We looked really good. We had some big wins in the non-conference. And then that kind of happened, and uh, things just kind of rolled downhill from there. Big comeback story for him, though. We'll talk about it, but uh, the 2015 season, he played a huge role in. Yeah, he really did. And before we talk more about your basketball career, I want to take a step back and talk about your major at Notre Dame because I think it's really cool. Film, television, and theater. It sounds like it's filled with a lot of fun classes, albeit I'm sure very hard and challenging. What made you choose that major? Yeah, yeah. so actually I changed my major a few times, but uh, my first like big one was I was like business and whatnot, and uh, I wanted to like do accounting or finance or management. I wasn't exactly sure. But with the basketball schedule and whatnot, I was like, oh, there's no way. It was so hard and, like, the hours you had to put in and meeting with teachers extra. And um, I ended up switching to, yeah, the FTT um, is what it's, like, called film, television, and theater. But uh, I actually got a minor in business because I had already taken all those classes. Mm. But um, like you said, yeah, there was a lot of, like, really cool classes that you got to take with it and a lot of things I didn't think I would ever learn about or, like, would be, like, super interested in and, uh like you said, it ended up being my major, and I, like, thoroughly enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of wish if I had a chance to go back to college, I would do a major like that. I think 
I always was interested in it, but I was like taking the more practical route. I was like, all right, it's so hard to get a job in that. I want to be a TV screenwriter. That's not going to happen. I want to be on the radio. Podcasts weren't a thing when I was in college yet. And or I guess they were kind of up and coming. But yeah, um, no, I, I agree. And I funny thing is, not a lot of people know, but there was a podcast at Notre Dame that me and one of the guys made. I don't know if it's still up or a lot of people even have ever heard it. What's it called? Oh, man, I can't even remember the name of it. Well, we only had like three episodes. But then also I helped a girl there create her uh, podcast and awesome. um, gave her like a good name. And uh, some of the guys in the office, we like helped her out. But other than that, I haven't done much with podcasts. Well, that's why you're here. Maybe this will give you the enthusiasm to start your own and probably yeah. have much, much more downloads than I do. <laughs> hey, that's not what it's always about. It's about having a good conversation. Exactly. Yeah, it's fun. But yeah, long story short, I kind of wish I had gone that that route in college. That would have been fun. Who knows yeah, what no, it would have taken me. I think a lot of people would like it because, I mean, with technology nowadays and everybody being online and social media, this, that, uh, getting a major like that, can't you can't go wrong with it. Exactly. 2015, one of the best basketball seasons Notre Dame has ever had on the boys' side. Girls, they have a lot of great seasons, but you guys go 32-6, and six, get huge wins over Michigan State, which must have felt so great for you, Purdue, which again, you don't like Purdue, that must have felt great, and multiple wins over Duke and UNC. Really great year. Yeah, it was incredible looking back at it and thinking about it, and uh, starting from the very beginning, I mean, like we said, we didn't have the best year of my sophomore year, and then that's my junior year. We had a really tough summer that summer. We didn't have a lot of guys that like came back. We had some new younger guys that like came in and uh, really like clicked and like bought in that that summer and like really believed. And again, going back to like the whole Anthony Solomon, the assistant coach who's back now, he had us in there every day doing three on three because we really only had like six or seven guys there that summer and uh, just like going at it every day and like believing in the process. And I think that's what really helped out through the whole year and why we were so good. Yeah, definitely. Notre Dame wins the ACC tournament, so Anthony Solomon must have been uh, celebrating that one. Oh, he was for sure. So was Coach Bray. But, yeah, that was a huge deal, first one they had. And uh, I think something we'll always look back on and, like, never forget. Yeah, that was – it was it must have been an amazing experience winning a conference tournament. Only your second year in that conference, might I add. Yeah, that was a crazy thing because I, I remember at the beginning of the year, no one no one picked us. No one had us in, like, even the top five, top eight, I think. I think they picked us, like, ninth. And we ended up surprising everybody. And even in, even after that, and was, like, going into the tournament and, like, having the seating, I think we were, like, four or something like that still. And still everyone gave us no shot. They were like, oh, they're going to lose this game, this game, this game. But every game we came out and ended up shocking people. And even, like I said, the Duke game, we, like, came back. And the North Carolina game, we came back and ended up winning them. Yeah, you beat Duke in the semis, UNC yep. in the finals, so really taking down the the powerhouses of that conference. Yeah, because I remember first one and the first one, and then they're like, okay, they beat one, one of the North Carolina teams. There's no way they beat both of them. There's no way. Absolutely. I Tell me this. I don't understand how you guys weren't a higher seed in the NCAA tournament with two wins over Duke, two wins over UNC. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. I mean, looking back, I'm pretty sure we were a five seed. I could be corrected, though. We you might, only had might... six losses, though, in a really good conference. I don't understand. Yeah, we might have been a four, but I'm pretty sure we were a five. I feel like you guys should have been a two, in my yeah, opinion. I 100% agree, but whenever Notre Dame goes to an NCAA tournament, we they always get, I don't know if I can say this, but we get shafted. 
You can say it. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. I, I do kind of feel that way too. But what an amazing tournament run. A great story in the second round. It's a win over Butler. But hours before the game, Mike Bray was informed that his mother passed away. Not only did he coach that game, but he didn't tell the team what happened to keep their focus on the game. Yeah, he didn't say a thing to us. But I remember after the game, us like kind of having a meeting after we were celebrating and whatnot. And uh, like our, we have a team chaplain, like a father that comes with us to every game. And I remember him coming in and saying, hey, let's like say a prayer for Coach Bray. And this and that, and like just like all the emotions and whatnot. It was uh, it was really nice. And like Coach Bray gave us good, gave us good speech and said like he knew we were like knew we were gonna win. And like his mom was with us and whatnot. So uh, I thought it was just all came full circle that day for him. Absolutely. You guys will get to the Elite Eight, where you play undefeated at the time, Kentucky. And I don't think many people gave you guys a shot in that game. I think a lot of people thought Kentucky was gonna just roll roll you guys over. But you guys bring it. You played so well. You showed no fear. Unfortunately, you end up losing by two. But I, you have to be so proud of your teammates and yourself for that game. Yeah, it was it was a hell of a run. I mean, it was at Ohio, in Ohio at the Cleveland Arena. I remember it's probably one of the craziest games of my college career and the atmosphere and whatnot. And you could just feel the energy. And there's something about that day that I just felt like we had it. I, I legit thought we had that game. Yeah, like I mean, it said, was close. It came down to the wire. I mean, again, we were talking about Jaron Grant earlier. He had a decent look from the corner to a three, actually, to win the game. And it was just a little bit long. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was devastating when they hit zero and we ended up losing that game. But such such a great year. And then being able to look to the future and see who's coming back. We only really lost him and Pat. And, uh, I mean, something we'll talk about probably here in a little bit. But then we go to the lead eight again the next year and have a, a great year also. Absolutely. But what does Mike Bray say to you guys in the locker room after that heartbreaking loss to Kentucky? I mean, I don't remember word for word, but I, if I can phrase it like this, I guarantee he said something like, it was hard fought, heads up, guys, like, hell of a run. Like, you guys gave it your all today. Like, I couldn't be happier. Like, I, I mean, I could be, but you guys, you guys gave it like you guys did your best. I remember someone tweeted, um, some sports writer, and I completely agreed with it. He wrote, no one in the Notre Dame locker room should have their heads down. He wrote that like a second after the game ended. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with him. I mean, we, we played well. We followed them. No one gave us a shot, not a single person in the country. And to go down to the wire with a team that they people have said was probably one of the best Kentucky teams ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say much about that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, while that junior season is a great season overall, personally, it must have been a little bit frustrating for you at points because you played a little bit less than you did as a sophomore. At any point, did the thought of transferring come across your mind? Yeah, it did, for sure. There's many times that I I thought about it, and I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. Like, I should, but I'll give my dad a lot of credit. I mean, I've never quit anything in my life. I've I've always stuck with it throughout the season or whenever it's done. So I remember talking to him a lot about it and my uncle, too, and saying, hey, you kind of made a commitment to the school. Like, it's a four-year deal. Like, and if you leave, like, in my mind, transferring was, like, kind of quitting on, like, what you've started. 
Mm -hmm. so, so looking at it that way, I remember always talking to my dad and my uncle and like some of my family members. And I was like, man, I want to transfer or I think it may benefit me better in the long run. But I said also, I mean, there's more things in life than, than basketball. I mean, Notre Dame being such a great school and some of these relationships I'm going to have with these guys, even though I'm not playing that much. Um, I'm still practicing hard, making them better, trying to make myself better at that time. And, uh, though like full circle, full picture, like I said, I, I just didn't think I could transfer because in my opinion, it was like quitting on them and like quitting something in my life, which I had never done before. But you're a great teammate and you're right. It is big picture. That degree you have at Notre Dame, you must be so thankful you have it. Yeah, I really do. Um, looking back and like I said, it's, it's such a big deal to, to go there and it's not just a four year commitment. It's 40 years. You must hate the transfer portal. Uh, I, I don't mind it. I mean, I think it's right for some people. Like I said, I think just me personally, that's just the way I was, I was raised. Like you, you don't quit anything that you start. And like, if you give someone your word, you're going to do it until it's done or complete. And then once you're done, then you can go on your way. I like that. And, you know, through my conversation with you, it's easy to see why you're named a team captain your senior year in 2016, which must have been a huge honor. Yeah, it really was. Like, knowing that your teammates think think that highly of you and want you to lead your team. And especially, I think when a lot of people look at team captains, it's about the best guy on the team or, like, someone who has a big voice on the on the floor when you're playing, you know? And for it to be a guy that, I mean, like I said, I didn't play as much as I as I wanted to, and I played sparingly. But to be that guy that's like on the bench or in the practice that they know that's going to give it 100 percent, that that always has your back. And like I said, I mean, you can ask at least this I personally feel any of the guys. I mean, I'd always have the guys over at my place every weekend. They they always were welcome. Like my door was open and they knew they knew I was always there for them, whether it be basketball or life. It, it didn't matter. Nice. All right. So you were the team host. I like that. Yeah. Try my best. Like you said. Notre Dame goes 24 and 12. Now, similar to sophomore year, you get an opportunity to start several games. You started a game against Wake Forest and score 14 points. You hit four threes. It must have felt so good. Yeah, it did. And then, like, going to that game, I remember the night before, we, me and Coach Bray had a conversation, and he had done this a few times to me, so I, I'll say this to him. I was like, I don't know if I believe you because you'd always be like, hey, Berg, be ready tomorrow. Like, you're going to play. You're coming off the bench. And it was like the game before that. I don't remember who we played, but he like said that and I didn't play at all. So I was like, okay, like this guy's just saying this again for this Wake Forest game. I was like, there's, he's just saying, I'm not going to play. He's like, just, he's just trying to keep me, keep my hopes up, you know? Mm-hmm. So then we go into the game or he like calls me that night saying, saying that like, Hey, be ready, be ready. And then I come to the game the next day and he's like, nah, Berg, you're starting. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're starting. So, and then, yeah, I go out there and have that good game. And I remember after the game, all the reporters were coming in. I pretty much just told them the same story I told you. I was like, yeah, I didn't really think anything of it, but I just try to do what I do in practice and play the best I can. You played great. And because that you played so great, you're, you're able to start the next game against Miami. But unfortunately, you suffer an ankle injury. So similar to, you know, having a great play sophomore year and then having that cardiac episode, you're playing great, turn your ankle, have to miss the next three games. I, I can't imagine how frustrating that was for you. Yeah, it actually was. But uh, if I remember this right, it actually didn't happen in the Miami game. So I played the full Miami game when we lost. Oh, do I have the game wrong? 
No, you're good. It actually happened the day before because then we played North Carolina. I twisted my ankle the day before on Zach August's ankle, actually. I remember him and me both went up for a rebound, uh, I, and I landed on his foot. And um, it, it wasn't, like, too bad, but or I personally didn't think it was that bad. But it was way worse than what I thought. And I remember the next day, Coach Bray was like, hey, can you play like I want you to play? And me being just like, a, I'm a pretty honest guy. And I told him, I was like, if Coach, I could play if I taped it up and, like, took some pain meds right now. Like, I could play. But I was like, I'm going to be moving slow. And we're playing, like, North Carolina, one of the better teams. I was like, I'm just going to be slowing everybody down down there. Like, I was like, me as a player, like, I'm saying I want to play. But I was like, me trying to be a good teammate here, I was like, it's probably in the team's best interest that I don't play. Yeah, wow, so mature. That's why you're a captain. Yeah, so that happened. But luckily, I remember not playing that game, and we ended up beating North Carolina. So it turned fun. out it turned out all right. <laughs> no, but you, you're talking about how you didn't think that, that sprained ankle was so bad. I hate that, right, because it'll happen. You'll walk it off, you'll play, and then the next day your ankle is a balloon and it hurts like hell. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible because I remember that because I, I got like right up afterwards and I was like limping a little bit, but I was like, okay, it's not that bad. But then like you kind of like go to bed that night, you don't, you're not moving around anymore, and then you wake up the next day and it's, uh, it's so stiff, you feel like you have like a peg leg or something. I'm like, man, what the heck happened? Yeah, Ugh, bad memories. But when you do come back from that, you're actually back in the starting lineup, so you didn't actually lose your spot through that injury. Yeah, surprisingly not, yeah. Remembering that, I was, I was surprised because I for sure thought I was going to come off the bench or it was going to be, I was thinking about my sophomore year. I was like, oh, here we go again. I'm not going to play. <laughs> yeah, no, you played well. And I, you started the North Carolina State game, which I believe was senior day where you guys had a big win. Yeah, we did. Yeah, looking back at that, I, I forgot about that game. But yeah, it was, it was a good end of the year. Like we said, we, we finished strong and uh, I thought we played really well and had a good run in the tournament. Absolutely. Do you remember what seed you guys were in the NCAA tournament that year? Mm. Again, I want to say we were like six. I think okay. we were six. See, that makes more sense. So the, being five or four in 2015 is, is weird to me. Yeah, 100%. Because I remember we, were at a, we had a watch party and whatnot, and we all for sure thought we were going to be a two or three. And then I, I, I swear we were a five. We might have been a four, though. And we no, all I believe were like, you. We were, were so, so surprised. And I was like, what? We all were like, what the heck? <laughs> you guys have another incredible run to the Elite Eight in 2017. Fall just short of the Final Four to UNC. I mean, how tough is that, AJ? You get within a game of going to the Final Four two years in a row. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, going back, I mean... We, we really thought we had it that year. I mean, like we said, the year before going up against Kentucky, no one gave us a chance. But now that we went up against North Carolina, it's some of them that we had already beaten the year. We play them in our conference. Like, we know who they are. We've scouted them many times. So we actually felt like we had a, we had a better shot and, like, people were giving us a shot. Um, so we felt a lot better about it. But, yeah, it was very heartbreaking to end your career that way. And uh, it's such a close game also. Yeah, uh, another close one. You end your career at Notre Dame playing a great four years that you should be really proud of. You know, ups and downs, you stuck it out. You were a team captain, well-respected. Yeah, no, I mean, looking back out of it and, like, hearing all this stuff and you bringing back all these accolades and whatnot, I think it was a, a great four years. And there's times where I question and whatnot, but I think it was a, a great decision and I have lifelong friends from it and it was such a great experience. That's awesome. Now, AJ, this is the part of the story where I'm actually a little bit more interested in. You had a great career. I was so happy to talk about it. 
But this is interesting to me because you don't immediately go overseas to play professional basketball. You felt you needed a little bit of a break from the sport, didn't you? Yeah, I did at first. Yeah, because right, right when I ended, I actually went to Sweden first. And I went for like a team for like a tryout and I was there for like a month and a half, two months. And it was like, OK, it was all right. But then I like came back and I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And uh, yeah, I ended up working and not thinking I wanted to play. And you stay at Notre Dame. 2017, you're there for an internship, right, with the media department? Yeah, and actually, like, right before that, again, I tried to go play professionally. Not a lot of people know this, but, yeah, I went to Slovenia for a little bit. And um, I had, like, some paper issues and whatnot. And the team, I couldn't get, like, because you have to get, like, a work visa over here. And they were, like, having issues with that. So then, yeah, I come back, and I thought I was going to play. But then I was like, oh, man, this isn't for me. Like, basketball's just not working. Like, all this stuff's happening. And, yeah, I end up working at Notre Dame. Basketball didn't completely leave your life, though, because you were doing some color commentating on the ACC network for the Notre Dame women's and I believe some of the men's games as well. Yeah, it was actually like, yeah, like you said, some ACC ESPN three stuff. So, yeah, I was working as an intern in like the SID office because I really enjoyed those guys. And I was like not really friends with them, but I call them friends now because like as a student athlete, it was like you couldn't really have relations like that. Um, but yeah, and they just threw out there like, yeah, you have a good voice. Like we think you'll be good at it. And like, you're good at like, just like talking with people and like doing like chit chat and you know, like a lot about basketball. So they're like, Hey, like if you want to do this, like it's an opportunity. And, uh, looking back, I'm really happy that I did. And I did as many games as I could and, uh, have some good friends that still do it now. I mean, one of the bigger names he's getting big into it is, uh, Mike Monaco. And, uh, I still try to stay in touch with him. Nice. I can confirm you were excellent at it. I watched a lot of the girls' games, probably even some of the guys' games that you did there, and it was great because you played there. Your basketball IQ is so high, and, you know, no offense to commentators, not everyone has a high basketball IQ, so I really enjoyed your analysis of a play breakdown and all that. I, I really did enjoy it. Well, I appreciate that, and like I said, I mean, for the girls' games, it was, in my opinion, a lot easier. And I'm going to explain why, because the guys games, it was tough for me because like you said, playing for them and then like going into detail and trying to explain stuff. Like there's certain times I felt like I might be explaining too much and like giving like some of coach Bray's insides away because I was like, okay, <laughs> giving away the plays. Yeah, exactly. Like I'll be like, okay, yeah. Like I know what this play is called. Like, this is what you do. But I was like, okay, I got to kind of like watch what I say here because I was like, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. That would be challenging. But I don't, I don't think you ended up giving away the playbook. I think you did a good job. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing the guys and girls games. I thought they both were really cool and something I look back at. Got to watch some really great basketball, too, because the girls were super good that year. That that was the year before they win the national championship. That was Lindsey Allen's senior year. So Yeah, they had some basketball. really great players on the team, like you said. Lindsey Allen, Enrique Gumbawale. I mean, Marina Mabry, they have so many, like, WNBA players that, are, that were on that team. Yeah, yeah, Bree Turner, unfortunately, would later get hurt that year, but they had a good shot had she uh, stayed healthy to win that one, too, I think. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. In 2016, right around Christmas, really great, like, sports moment that happened that you played a big role in making happen. I hope I don't, like, cry during... It's telling the story, but it's so good. So Notre Dame's point guard, Matt Farrell, he's your friend. His brother, Bo Farrell, was overseas serving our country. 
Yeah. He surprised Matt and his family after a home game on the court. I I encourage everyone, if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, get ready for a good cry. But explain your part in this, AJ, because you, you really did bring it together. Yeah, so, um, I mean, Matt Farrell, me and Matt Farrell were actually really good friends. So it, like, worked out perfectly because I was, like, family friends with him, too. Like, Matt's dad and my dad are, like, best friends. And then um, also me and Matt lived together my junior year and his freshman year. So we were pretty close and I'm working there in the SID office doing all this information stuff. And we also work with like the technology department who does like all the videos and like coordinate stuff like that. So my boss at the time is Aaron Horvath. And um, I tell him, I was like, Hey, um, Matt Farrell's brother, Bo hit me up on like texting me the other day. And I was like, Hey, he's, he might be able to come home for Christmas, but like his family has no idea. And, um, yeah, he, I don't think he, he hadn't been home for like a year and a half or like two years. Like he had been on like some tours or even if he did come home, he like couldn't go to Jersey. He had to go back to his base, which I think was in Georgia or Florida. One of the two, I forget. So mm-hmm. he was like, hit me up and he was like, Hey, can you do anything for me? Like set it up with Notre Dame. So it's like kind of a video surprise. He's like, I want to make a huge, like, and like surprise him. He's like, not like huge. Like he cares about like all these views on the internet when I, he's like, I just want to like surprise my family. Cause I, I don't think he was home the Christmas before. So I remember bringing it to Aaron and I was like, I gave Aaron Bo's number because I was like, I'm just an intern at the time. Like, I don't know how much I can do here. Like who's really going to listen to me, you know? So I brought it to my boss. who's like one of the head people there. And he's like, okay, I'll start messaging them. And we got it moving and whatnot. And then I was living on like Eddie street, which is like right across the street from the arena. And Bo was able to like fly in and we recorded all that and did like some interview stuff behind the scene. And like, I let him stay with me in my apartment and like hit him. So Matt and his family didn't know. And it ended up just working out perfectly and like having him at the game and the recording and everything and have him, we had a pre-recorded thing that went up on the video board where it said like, Bo was saying he's in Afghanistan watching and wishing everybody in the Notre Dame family a Merry Christmas and whatnot, like played it all up when really he was in the locker room waiting for the game to be done. Ugh, amazing. I'm just thinking about that video now. They were, uh, Matt was, his reaction was great. He was so surprised. The family ran down onto the court. Ugh, chills. Yeah, it really was. And they got a good shot of Matt's mom and her freaking out saying like, no way. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, Matt Farrell, I mean, he's a very high emotion guy or like basketball wise, but like when it comes to emotions like that, you've never really like seen that from him. He's pretty like straightforward. So seeing a moment like that and him like, not being vulnerable, but like opening up and like being excited to like see his brother was uh, pretty cool to see. Absolutely. And I remember watching it that and I don't think I saw the game. I don't I don't think that game was on TV, but, um, you know, SportsCenter was playing it a lot. But that was also the night that Grayson Allen tripped a kid from, I think I want to say Elon. And so they were playing that so much more. And I was so annoyed. I'm like, play this amazing clip. Like, stop showing this ugly moment of basketball and show yeah. this awesome moment of not really basketball, but just awesome moment. No, I 100% agree with that. I mean, it's it's tough when media chooses stuff like that. And especially around the holidays, you would think they would choose something of a of a good story instead of something that's, uh, that's happened multiple times by uh, the same guy. Yeah, yeah. But Scott Van Pelt... Uh, he had it on his late night. He's like, mm-hmm. I guess every night before he like signs off, he has a big thing and he did that. But were you nervous that you were going to blow it? Because I'd be so nervous. Yeah, I actually was a little bit because there's there's certain times because 
we had to sneak Bo over to the Joy Center to go to the like little media area to like screen record these things on the green screen. And like say like he sent it from his phone or whatever, but like we had to sneak him in and make sure no one was in the practice facility or Matt wasn't walking in or stuff like that. So there was definitely times and there's like one time that like I went downstairs to get get him food and he was like, no, just let me come with. But I was like, no, 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 stay upstairs. And like luckily he <laughs> luckily he didn't come with because I ended up seeing his mom there. Oh, geez. Because uh, that would have thrown it all off too because the Ferrells had a place in South Bend and they were there for every home game. So like they were all over the place. So it was like super tough. Yeah, that is challenging. The my favorite part of the video though was, and I guess this was the time it wasn't pre-recorded; it was actually live. There is an American flag hanging where he is, so you obviously think it's on base. And then he gets up, and you notice that it's the locker room, and you see him walking to the court. It's just amazing. Yeah, no, we've planned that out pretty well, and like that was actually Bo's idea. He was like, "Let's just put an American flag in the background because like we have them at our base all over the place, so it look more realistic." Yeah, And then he was like, and then one of the camera guys was like, yeah, let's set up in the locker room because it's close to the court and we'll just zoom out. And then he can just walk out this door and Matt will be right there. So we're like, yeah, that is like kind of perfect. Let's do that. Yeah. Everyone involved did an amazing job. I'm I'm actually out when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to YouTube it again. Amazing. Yeah. You're making me want to watch it. Right. Now, before you get back into basketball, you this is after your after your internship with Notre Dame you get a job with IU involving filming basketball games right yeah yeah so I got a full-time job down there actually um, because of one of the girls that actually was a film person like working at Notre Dame when I was playing she worked at IU and I knew her and they're like hey we got a position open this that and I went down there and interviewed for it and got it so again, I was like, man, I, I really don't think I, it hadn't been a full year yet. And I was like, I don't think I still want to play. Like I want to take like a full year off because I, at the beginning of the other year, I was in Slovenia at first and I was like, ah, I, I don't think I'm ready yet. Or I, at that time I legit thought I was done. I was like, I'm probably not going to play basketball anymore. But then, yeah, I go down to IU and I get this like film job and I'm filming all these games and I'm doing other sports too. But being in an assembly hall and like watching watching these games and IU played Duke and the atmosphere and there was nuts. I remember going home that night and I was questioning myself and I was like, man, if if my eight year old, ten year old self could see me right now and like say that like I quit playing basketball because of something, I don't even remember what it was. I was like, my he would beat me up. Like he would try to beat me up. He'd be like, what what are you doing? So I remember like talking about that and I remember reaching out to an agent. I was like, what, what do you think are like the chances I could play again? Like I'm going to start training and like shooting. And he was like, he was like, yeah, it's probably a good chance. He was like, you're not to start out like not like not making a lot, but uh, I was, he was like, you can work your way up. And I was like, I want to, like, I got to play. I was like, I don't know why I stopped. It's awesome that you end up rediscovering your love for basketball through IU, the team you grew up rooting for. Yeah, and honestly, I think if I would have worked anywhere else, it wouldn't have re-sparked it. But just being in that building, Assembly Hall, and, like, my office was in there and being in there every day and just filming all the games. Like I said, the atmosphere of that game just, like, brought it all back and, like, brought back memories. And, like I said, as a little kid, if he could have looked at me and looked me in the face, he'd have been like, what the hell are you doing, man? (laughs) And I know that you would train at IU with the leading scorer for the IU women's team, Tyra Buss. Who won more games of one-on-one? Because my money's on her. 
The odd thing is we never played one-on-one, but there's oh. a funny story about behind that. And uh, so I worked at IU, but at first I was, it was called an externship. So I wasn't full-time at first. I was only working like 20, 29 hours a week because that's what they could do. But then I became full-time after like two months of being there. So when I first got there, I was like, okay, I need to do something else. Like I'm only working 29 hours. So I ended up getting a job at Brothers in town. It's like a bar. And I was a, a bouncer there on the weekends. So that's how that's actually how I met Tyra was, was working there. You had and to she, card her and throw her out? No, I didn't. I used to always <laughs> let him in. And, like, it was probably one of, the, like, the most, like, popular bars. And, like, then me working at IU, I knew all the athletes. So then they knew me. And they're like, oh, you work at IU, too? They're like, if there's a long line, will you let us in? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So then I made a deal with her. And I was like, hey let's let's shoot i was like i'll let you and your friends in for free or whatever i'll let you guys skip the line but like sometimes my card would only work for assembly hall it wouldn't work for cook hall which was like the practice facility where like the guns were and whatnot and i was like if we do let's make a deal like i'll let you guys in but you have to let me use your card so i can go shoot at night that sounds like a good exchange yeah i thought so too so yeah then me and tyra became like really close and she would like hit me up and like after the season is like kind of like when it like really came full circle for me and I was like working out a bunch and I was at working a lot, like crazy hours. And like, eventually I asked IU to change my card. So I wouldn't have to ask Tyra anymore. Cause I felt like I was bothering her. And I was like, Hey, can you guys make it work at cook hall too? Cause like, I want to shoot. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to go in there when I get off work from brothers. Cause I'd get off at like three or four in the morning. Then I'll go shoot. Oof. But I Jesus. was like, they're not, I was like, they're not going to say anything to me. I mean, I'm just a tall white kid from Indiana. They're going to think I'm just on the basketball team. So <laughs> no one ever said anything, and it worked out perfectly. It's awesome. So you said you hired an agent. Tell me about your first experience. Over, well, I know it's not your first experience, but your, your first experience since rediscovering your love for basketball overseas because you actually finished in the top six of MVP voting in Slovenia. Yeah, no, I had a great year. And like I said, I, I think I just got super motivated. And like I said, being in assembly hall and whatnot, and like feeling that. And like I had like some really good friends at IU and that were like super supportive. And they were students at the time. And they were they were always there for me and like always rebounding. I'm like best friends with them still to this day. And just like going over there and like having a new mindset and like kind of like a fresh slate. And uh, just like playing as hard as I could and really playing the way I wanted to and not like being under like pressure really like a Notre Dame, like looking over my shoulder. I felt like I could just do what I wanted and like play freely. And it was a, it was a great year. And after that, you then go play, play in Belgium and Sweden. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, it was really good. So there's a little mishap in Belgium though. Um, so like the team, like had some like financial issues or something like that. And they like got a restriction from the government. So I wasn't actually able to ever play in a real game there. Like I played in all the preseason games. Then they like got a restriction where they weren't allowed to have like imports play, which is like pretty much Americans. Mm. So that's what, the only reason I went to Sweden that year is because I like couldn't play in the game. So I was just like kind of sitting around being a practice player. So then, yeah, I go to Sweden, play there, and then like the whole COVID thing hits, and then yeah, I go home. <laughs> well, before COVID, how was it though playing in a few different countries? You know, being so far from home, but you're also probably experiencing some really cool cultural things. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool. And, like, uh, I tell anybody they should experience or, like, have a chance to live overseas or in another country. It really opens your eyes. And I think a lot of uh, Americans are, like, closed-minded and, like, 
don't realize like everything they like we take for granted like coming here and like not being able to speak their language and like before that you probably just think oh everyone understands english like little things like that and uh just being able to see like different cultures and like the way people interact and like one of the biggest things i always say about like europe is like everyone's so friendly here like you're walking down or like people are just saying like hello in their language like it's something you just don't do in America. Like if you're walking down the street, you're not saying hi just to a random person you walk past, like just being friendly. Definitely not. Yeah. So that's, that's something that's definitely different. And then, like you said, experiencing different countries is always really cool. And being in Slovenia was like really, really cool. as like a first place, but then going to Belgium and like living, I lived in a pretty big city there compared to like the Slovenian city I lived in. And then going like super North and like, living in Luleå, Sweden, which is like as north as you can go and like seeing the northern lights certain nights was like really cool. Wow. So kind of getting a little bit of everything. Definitely. Could your friends and family like easily access your games online? Uh, yeah. So for Slovenia, there's like a website you can go to. Um, Sweden also there, um, there's a website. And then now here in Luxembourg, there's a website that uh, people are able to watch it on. Nice. Nice. So you mentioned the pandemic. Tell me how long were you home and were you able to get home pretty easily? And then how long did it take for you to then get back overseas? Yeah. So it was actually pretty easy to get home. And I think I got home in like March, like kind of towards the end of March. And I was there until uh, like end of August, September. And then I came here to Luxembourg, but yeah, it was a different process. Like coming, the hardest part was probably coming back because normally you can just enter Europe and you have like three months and after three months, you either have to leave. Cause it's like a visitor, like you're just visiting or like at the three month mark, you have to get a visa. And normally you can come here, like you just say you're visiting. And then like with the club that you're with, you get your visa while you're here. So then you can just stay. But like this year it was different. You had to get your visa beforehand. So like, that's what like kind of took longer. Cause most seasons I've been over here beginning of August. And I think this year I got here like the beginning of September because I had to wait for the visa to get in before I could leave the United States or like they wouldn't let you on the plane or like you wouldn't be able to get through customs. Geez, there's so much that goes into it. Like, it's not just basketball. You know how I'm thinking about it, just not being there involved. But wow, there's so much of it to deal with. Yeah, it is. It's pretty crazy. And that's that's just like the paperwork stuff. And then also there's like the whole COVID tests and doing that process too. So there, there's a lot more steps to it this year too. And then like in America too, you have to get like FBI background check. Just a lot of things that people don't know about. Yeah, wow. All right, so you're, you make it back overseas. You're in Luxembourg. You're continuing to play well. As of the time of recording, you guys are in the playoffs, but you played with a lot of confidence. And after such an up and down career at Notre Dame, you must be so happy with your play and where you're at in your professional career. No, I'm very happy with it. And like I said, I mean, when I played at Notre Dame, that feels like a whole nother life. Like I really don't even think about it anymore. And the only seasons I really think about are the ones that I've played overseas and like how well I've been playing and kind of play differently too i mean when you're at notre dame you're playing in such a system and what like coach bray wants and then like you go overseas and every year almost you're going to a new team or like almost every two years you go to a new team whether you get moved up or like kind of stay at the same level and uh you're kind of playing differently i mean basketball is definitely different here and it's i think it's more free and more i don't know the exact word for it but like you kind of do your own thing and then you got to like kind of just fit fit into the system the best you can Mm mm-hmm how is it living in Luxembourg? Oh, I thoroughly enjoy it. I live right in the city center. And uh, yeah, it's really nice. And everything you can walk to, our gym's a 15-minute walk from here. I have a car too, but I, I really don't use it that much. 
And uh, you drive on the other side of the road? No, uh, that's only a couple of countries. That's one thing all my friends ask me. But no, we're <laughs> we're still on the right side of the road. Okay, nice. The food good there? Really good, really good. Nice. Uh, I've been a big fan. So I'd say, out of all the countries, this is probably number two. Slovenia was one. This is two, and then Sweden and Belgium were probably three. Nice. Okay. And do you still keep up with Notre Dame basketball? I know you said you still like IU, but they're your alma, your alma mater. Yeah, I, I watch them a little bit, especially like when it's a big game or something like that. Or when I know they're playing IU at the crossroads, I'll watch that for sure. And that's always a, a tough one to watch. But it's, oh, it's yeah. getting to the point now where I don't know any of the guys anymore and I didn't play with any of them. Yeah, so, that's true. So I'm not, a, I'm not as interested but I, I still do like to watch and tune in and like I hope well for the coaches. And like you said, you had Scott Martin on the show and he was a guy that I played with and someone I looked up to when I played. So it's good to still see, watch and see them too. Absolutely. Do you still keep in touch with Mike Bray at all? Uh, I've talked to him maybe once or twice. It's more the, the assistant coaches is who I stay in touch with. And then I obviously stay in touch with all the guys actually. Yeah. You're still friends with Matt Farrell. Yeah, give me the names. Zach. Yeah, so we actually have a group chat on Instagram that we still all talk, and uh, almost all the guys are in it. Demetrius, Zach, Bonzi, Steve, Martin, Gevin. Um, trying to think who else is in it. There's a Matt Farrell. There's a bunch of guys in it because uh, we, we wanted to play in the TBT tournament, but uh, I think this year we just don't have enough guys that are going to be able to do it because they have other other things already lined up, but I uh, I think in the next year or two, you're going to see another Notre Dame team on the, in the TBT tournament. Oh, I would love to see that. Yeah, so we're working towards that. That'd be great. All right, AJ, I have really enjoyed our conversation, but I know you got, got to get going. It's late by you, and you got a playoff game tomorrow. But before I let you go, I'd like to end the podcast with a couple fun questions. How's that sound? All right, yeah, go for it. All right, what is your favorite movie? Ooh, favorite movie. That's a tough one. Uh, I'm a big Marvel fan, so I'd say I'd either say any Marvel movie, or if when it comes not to Marvel, I'd say I think Ready Player One is a great movie. Just being like a film, a film major, the way it was filmed and the production and like the thought and uh, all the animations and stuff, I think is just crazy. But the state yeah, of Indiana has disowned you for not saying who's your Hoosiers. Ah, yeah. I mean, that's an old one. It is a good movie, but you like the these, new stuff. Some of these new ones that come out, they're hard to compete with. True, true. All right, Marvel guy, who's your favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? Mm. Uh, again, that's a tough one. I, I don't know if I have a favorite. Mine's I, Captain America. Yeah, he's, he's great a, to look at. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could say the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably say Iron Man. I'll probably get some backlash for that. I like Iron Man. He's a good one. All right. You've been uh, out and about in Europe the past couple of years. What is the coolest place or experience you've, you've done or seen there? Uh, coolest place I've been to is probably, hmm, man, that's a tough one again. I don't know. I really like Luxembourg. I think Luxembourg City is really cool. Then also Brussels and Belgium is also really cool. And Dennett in Belgium is really cool. Uh, in Slovenia, I think Ljubljana, which is the capital there, is, is a really cool city. Um, so I'd say one of those. Okay. 
Last question, AJ. If you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Mm, man, you got some good questions. Right? I do. Yeah, you really do. Living or dead? Uh, I'll go with living. Living would be uh, Elon Musk right now. Dead That's would be mm, probably like Albert Einstein or like Socrates or someone like that. All right. Two good ones. All right, AJ, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. So glad to see that you've rediscovered your love for hoops and you're playing so well over there. Yeah, no problem at all. I appreciate you uh, reaching out and letting me be on it. All right, everyone. That was my chat with AJ Burgett. Hope you enjoyed it. Great to hear about his career at Notre Dame, his work behind the camera, rediscovering his love for basketball, and now playing great professionally overseas. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.